the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, uh, J1 match day 20 promised plenty. And I mean, there's still plenty of talking points for us to sink our teeth into. But I don't know, I think it kind of left me wanting more. Yeah, I suppose more questions than answers we got out of this weekend. It was, there was a chance maybe for Marinos to, steer, to really move away at the top of the table. There was a chance for maybe Shonan to get cut adrift a little bit at the bottom. Neither of those really happened, but it still kept things quite tight. And that's what re- really you want going into the second half of the season. Yes, I suppose that's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I was after a bit more certainty, maybe, after match day 20. But, uh, yeah, the, the two crunch clashes at uh, either end of the table uh, ended in draws. And uh, you will get to those uh, pretty much right off the top of the episode, as well as uh, rounding up uh, all nine games from uh, J1 match day 20, while there were some, uh, yeah, some good wins for, for mid-table teams. And, uh, yeah, as, as we said, plenty of goals and talking points, some of them VAR-related, uh, to sink our teeth into. So, yes, we'll begin at the top of the table, I'm sure to uh, no one's surprise, as the uh, the top two at kickoff uh, in the, the start of the match day faced off at the Toyota Stadium. It was uh, Nagoya who entered the match day in second, hosting the leaders and defending champions, Yokohama F. Marinos, and it was the hosts who made a fast start, Sam, and it bore fruit in just the eighth minute when, uh, after Kasper Junker's long-range shot was blocked, Kensuke Nagai tried his luck from distance as well, with the ball looping off Ken Matsubara and uh, flying into the top corner. Advantage Grampus, early doors. Yeah, a good bit of fortune in the end, but I think it was what they deserved. They were out of the blocks really quickly. They were really pressing uh, Marinos. They were winning the ball up high as they did in this move with Yonimoto, I think it was, first before Mateus then played it on. But, yeah, they came out really well. They were looking to put the pressure on and, yeah, got their goal. Very fortunate in the end with the deflected loop over the goalkeeper from Nagai. But, yeah, it was a really good start and exactly what Nagoya would have wanted. Indeed. Then in the 27th minute, uh, El Burr curled a 25-yard free kick around the Grampus wall, but uh, Mitch Langerak had set it up perfectly as uh, El Burr's free kick then came off the outside of the post. But a minute later, he was rounding the Aussie keeper and stroking into an empty net after a, a stunningly simple counter-attacking goal. Uh, Mateus shot from 40 yards for the host. It was fumbled, but then gathered by F. Marino's keeper, Jun Ichimori, who got to his feet and sent a low laser beam straight down Main Street for Elber to run onto. And as I've just told you, uh, the Brazilian did the rest. Uh, remarkable stuff, Sam. And uh, Nagoya were rocked after the champions went bang, bang. Uh, Joel Fujita's crisp strike seven minutes later, putting them 2-1 up. Yeah, this the first goal was the real turning point of the first half, especially. And, yeah, it showed uh, the good and the bad of Ichimori. Obviously, the spill to start with is not always the greatest handler of the ball. But, yeah, recovered really well, spotted there was an opening, really good distribution to find Elbert. Nagoya were left a little bit all at sea at the back. They'd pushed a few players forward. Nakatani, for example, was on the edge of the Marinos uh, uh, 
um, box when Ichimori played the ball forward. It was a great ball into Elbert. Timed his run just just about to perfection, and then yeah, good composure around Langerak, and then Marinovs really took it on. They were the better side at the, the end of that first half and deserved uh, the two-one lead as it was. Nishimura who. I went off injured them at half time, or he was injured just prior to half time, which is another blow for them. They've lost, yeah, they've got quite a few injuries at the moment. And um, Marcos Junior missed this game as well, so yeah, Nishimura missing out could be an issue and was in the second half, but yeah, it was his ball in. Lopez did well to shield the ball and allow it just to roll across him, not actually touching it. And then Fujita, who's come in with Kida missing the last couple of games, yeah, really nice finish into the bottom corner. So yeah, Marinos, um, after a difficult start, they. And got themselves back into the game and then were in the ascendancy uh, coming up towards halftime with these two quick-fire goals. Indeed. So who's next man up then? If uh, We know that Nishimura kind of uh, displaced, for want of a better word, uh, Marcos Jr. as uh, Kevin Muscat's preferred uh, number 10 or uh, yeah, attacking midfielder last season. So if he was to be without both of them for, uh, I don't know, a period of a couple of weeks, there is obviously a, a, a little mini break coming up for... Uh, uh, the J1 teams for a couple of weeks while uh, some European clubs are touring the country. So that might be a perfect opportunity for, for Muscat to get one or both of those players back to full health. But um, yeah, who would be next cab up, do you think? Yeah, they've got a couple of different options. There's Fertis Wayanaka, who Johnny mentioned a few weeks ago, and he seems to have gone from strength to strength. He was the one who came on for Nishimura at halftime. He's probably better off as the main striker, but can play this withdrawn role. And yeah, he's been very lively every, every time he's played. Not Maybe not necessarily this weekend, but in previous games, he's had good impact off the bench. So it might be up to him. Maybe they'll bring in Riku Yamane, assuming Kida's not fit as well. They could bring Yamane into the centre of midfield and maybe move Watanabe further forward. He has played in that more advanced role on occasion before as well. So there are a couple of options, but yeah, it's not ideal. There's also Mizunuma maybe could play in there or maybe Mateus could go in. So it's not like they're bereft of options. There are plenty of uh, people that could come in and fill a void for one or two weeks. They just have to hope that Nishimura especially is not out for any length of time because the last couple of seasons he's been one of their key players and obviously forced himself into the national team. So it would be a real blow if he was out for any length of time. Most definitely. All right. So, yes, as we said, uh, F. Marinos went bang, bang with the two goals in the space of seven minutes to take the lead and uh, indeed held it through to half time. But the host, Grampus, made a fine start to the second half as well, uh, taking advantage of a poor ball across defence from Eduardo. Uh, Mateus eventually crossing for Kasper Juncker to side foot home from six yards. Eduardo left holding his head in his hands at his uh, sloppy turnover. So credit to Grampus for yeah hauling themselves off the floor at the break and um, yeah getting themselves back to level pegging Sam and yeah obviously uh, with uh, Nagai scoring their first and then uh, Mateus setting up Juncker for their second that's uh, obviously uh, music to the ears of uh, Kenta Hasegawa and his uh, his front three uh, all getting involved in the goals um, but from then um, I don't know maybe the uh, the enormity of the the occasion sunk in for these two teams I'm not sure they, they, they certainly didn't shake hands on a draw two minutes into the second half I'm not suggesting that at all but um, yeah the from there the the amount of uh, clear-cut chances were certainly uh, much less than in the first half and 
uh, well, yeah, uh, the, ultimately the, the spoils were shared, and I think uh, probably just about fair enough. Uh, yeah, just about. I thought Nagoya were marginally the better side in the second half. They had a bit more of the ball, a bit more possession, but generally reduced to long-range efforts generally from Mateus, as he's wont to do. Well, there was one just before the hour mark, I think it's about 30 yards. It doesn't go very far past the, the far post. So a decent enough effort. Ichimori made one other save. But yeah, Marinos themselves, they kind of lacked that cutting edge in this second half. Without Nishimura, well, then Elbert generally goes off in the 70th minute, as he did here. And he, uh, Miichi, obviously a good player when fit, not that fit. And it's not the same level as Elbert. When he comes off, Mizanuma wasn't didn't really offer too much when he came on for Jan Mateus either. So there aren't many players that, uh, at least in this game, that could come off the bench and really change things for them or really give them that extra push that they needed. And uh, yeah, I thought Nagoya were generally fairly comfortable uh, defensively. There was one op- opportunity, I think, for Wayne Naka when he was played through, but Langerak was out well and it was quite a tight angle anyway. So yeah, chances really at a premium. But there was that one moment where Nagoya had the ball in the back of the net. They thought they'd broken through, but Sakai was just offside in the build-up. But, yeah, generally speaking, very little in terms of clear-cut opportunities. And the two teams probably cancelled each other out, which is why they were where they were in the table. Right, so that's what I was going to ask you to, to wrap this up. I mean, we know both of these teams are very good and are likely to be involved in this uh, title race for the duration, yeah, certainly F. Marinos is showing uh, no signs of uh, a championship hangover, and uh, Grampus have uh, have been able to keep pace with uh, by either them or Kobe at the top pretty much all the way through the first 20 rounds. So um, it, was there anything you especially you're taking away from this from, uh, I don't know, from a, a, an F. Marinos depth perspective, from a, a Nagoya defensive perspective that they were rocked with those couple of goals that were uh, un-Grampus-like for them to concede? Um, anything for future opponents of either team to, to take advantage of perhaps or um ultimately was this just two good teams battling to a stalemate well i think it was that to a degree but i think both sides have weaknesses as well i think generally last few years we've always seen the top team especially in kawasaki some certain kawasaki teams it was like how is are we going to beat this team how is anyone going to get close to them and i don't think that's the case with this f marinos side as you saw with the error from Eduardo. He's been um, partnered in recent games with by Kamijima because Hatanaka has not been particularly um, solid either. So you can definitely get at this Marinos team. They will give you chances. So that's something that a lot of teams can take against them. And you saw the way that both halves, Nagoya, came out and really attacked them. And yeah, there are, there are spaces that open up when you do that. You don't always have to sit off F Marinos because eventually they pick you apart. And then for Grampus, there are definitely still issues. I think central midfield is a real concern. Yonimoto was uh, hauled off after 37 minutes after the second goal, replaced by Uchida, who's not really a central midfielder. There's talk that uh, Kazuki Nagasawa is going to leave. So there's a hole there, definitely. Plus, defensively, the Kawazura was in for this game. And yeah, it's a real drop-off from Mariama and Nogami. If you, when he has to play, I think they targeted him a little bit, especially in that first half. So, yeah, both teams have uh, weaknesses that can definitely be exposed, which um, maybe for the overall standard of the league is a slight issue if these are towards the top of the table. But for the rest of the league, it shows that, yeah, they're not infallible and we can have a real good title race. I don't think any one of these teams is going to be able to run away with it. 
And, and just one more on Grampus. We obviously speak a lot about their front three and how potent they can be on their day. And I mean, yeah, Juncker's scored is the 11th of the season here, but um, the the goals four column doesn't make particularly good reading for Kent Asagawa, does it? I mean, he scored 11 out of, what, 29 uh, that Grampus have scored through 20 games, which is um, a bit on the low side, I think. And obviously from some of the teams around them, it's um, it's basically the same number of, as Reds and uh, and Cerezo and even Tosu a few a few spaces lower down the table. So um, he 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 being Hasegawa would be hoping that um, not only Junker, uh, Mateus and Nagai can get amongst the goals throughout the summer, but he, I think they're going to need from uh, the rest of his squad and the, you know the rest of his regular uh, starting eleven. They're going to need to chip in with some more goals to um, uh, yeah you know, make them uh, a bit more of a uh, well-rounded attacking outfit and not they can't simply just rely on on Junker uh, and, and Mateus especially can they? Uh, no, they can't. But looking at the rest of the squad, you can't really see where the goals are fr- coming from. Last time they were really up in this sort of position, showing Nagaki had a r- ridiculous season of somehow scoring plenty of goals from a more holding midfield position. And he's not doing that this year. They are heavily reliant on Juncker, especially. And they, they need him to be um, clinical because generally they want to go 1-0 up and then sit back. This The tactics in this game were slightly different against Marinos, where Nagoya looked to put themselves on um, Marinos and push higher up the field than they generally do. Um, yeah, usually they're quite happy and content to see off most teams. They don't think most teams are going to cause them too many issues defensively. And then when Juncker gets one or two chances, he generally takes them. So, yeah, I'd like to see, again, it probably coming from that central midfield position, if they can get someone else in a little bit more attack-minded, someone who is going to join the attack, maybe make those late runs into the area, then that would definitely help them. Because, yeah, if and we said it with Marinos, if Anderson Lopez gets injured, but if Casper Juncker is out for any length of time, there's not a lot behind them. They've got their only other backup coming in is Tiger Nakashima, who they've signed from Sapporo. I think there's mm. a talent in there, but it's not really been played out in the league so far. He's played reasonably well in League Cup games and looked a decent option, but yeah, he's not quite. You wouldn't say, oh, I'd be happy for him to come in for Juncker, and Nagoya wouldn't miss Juncker at all. So. Yeah, definitely a couple of key areas there that they need to be concerned with. All right, then. So, yeah, 2-2 at the Toyota Stadium on Saturday night. And we said that these were the top two uh, when the match day began, but not actually when this game began, because on Friday night, Vissel Kobe went back up to second by winning 1-0 away at Niigata. And that's the game we'll come on to next. So Kobe went second in the live table on Friday night, and they stayed there after uh, Grampus's draw against F. Marinos on the Saturday. So uh, for Kobe, they scored the only goal of this game fairly early doors, and uh, it came as a result of an excellent uh, press from Mitsuki Saito and Yoshinori Muto, who swarmed and dispossessed Yuji Hoshi after uh, Niigata passed the ball around at the back. Uh, Muto then slipped the ball forward to Yuya Osako, whose uh, shot took a slight deflection off a sliding Thomas Deng before going in off the fingertips of a diving Ryosuke Kojima. So a a perfect example of uh, how good Kobe can be of uh, winning the ball back high up the pitch, Sam, and uh, not for the first, not for the second. Goodness knows how many times it's been this season. 
season, but Yoshinori Muto turned provider, and uh, Yuya Osaka was the uh, grateful recipient. Yeah, that is, that's Kobe's season in a nutshell, isn't it? The work of Saito especially, and everyone uh, in terms of the press, then Muto will generally find Osaka, and Osaka will generally find the back of the net. That's how it's been. It was very clinical, and it had to be in this game, because I don't think Kobe played particularly well, but yeah, this is where they can get free goals with their work ethic and their harrying, especially teams like Niigata, who aren't going to be put off by a high press. They're going to try and play their way out from the back, and generally they, they can be successful at it, and in this game, they got through most times, but uh, yeah, it just takes that one moment where one player is caught out, Hoshi, in this instance, and yeah, they absolutely swarmed him. He got nowhere to go, and yeah, Osaka, as he's done most most of the time this season, just found the back of the net, maybe a touch fortunate, but it was enough for Kobe, who then, yeah, I thought they didn't play too well. They obviously had defensive issues with Tula going off injured. They're running out of centre-backs quite rapidly, and Gotoku Sakai went in to centre-back. I think, was this his first time back at the uh, Big Swan against Niigata? It may well have been. And yeah, yeah, I don't think he was expecting to play centre-back, but I thought he had a magnificent game. And Kobe did just about enough. And maybe um, Niigata without Ito, maybe were just lacking that creativity. Yeah, all hands on deck uh, in defence for uh, Vissel, no question about that. Uh, but as you say, Gotoko Sakai doing a, a terrific job having to slide over into the centre to partner Leo Osaki after uh, Matthias Tula was forced off with um, a, a mysterious looking uh, ailment, whatever it was, Sam. He just decided that he couldn't continue and uh, and yeah, that, uh, that was enough. Enough was enough in the 20th minute, basically. Yeah, I haven't seen a report saying exactly what it was, but yeah, he just kind of signalled to the bench, that's me done, I'm off, and then he walked off and we just waved goodbye to him and carried on with the game. So yeah, I'm not sure, I'm sure something will come out eventually about what that was, but yeah, they're really down to the bare bones, aren't they, at the back uh, Kobe, I think after whatever's left, it's just a few youngsters now, there was uh, uh, Shohei Takahashi, they brought in on loan, who has not really done anything, they've got Ozaki, who's done okay in the League Cup, I imagine he'll get a game in midweek in the Emperor's Cup. So, yeah, but otherwise, yeah, it's a little bit, uh, you know, bare bones, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, no doubt about that. But as we said, yeah, Goto Kosakai, very impressive and uh, certainly a uh, yeah player that his manager, Mr. Yoshida, can always rely on, and no question about that. So, again, again I guess, uh, like we've said a couple of times in recent weeks, uh, Kobe uh, not at their finest, but um, yeah, were clinical when chances were presented, and the uh, Osako goal a perfect uh, indication of that. And yes, while they were tested at times by a Niigata side who dominated the possession numbers and indeed the shot count, they uh, yeah they were able to hold firm, though they were indebted to a Daya Maikawa for a, a leaping save to keep out a, a first time Kaito Taniguchi blast from alongside the penalty spot just before half time and uh, yeah chances again for Niigata in the second half but either the uh, the defense got their bodies on the line or Maikawa was uh, equal to anything that was on target and uh, nothing seriously threatening I don't think the uh, the Kobe goal from Alwarex in the second half so yeah th- this is very impressive and Kobe advanced the bell again Sam we mentioned it uh, I think it's three match days ago wasn't it when they were the only game on Sunday, uh, when uh, F. Marinos had obviously won on the Saturday and um, 
Kobe knew if they hadn't done the business in the final game of the match day, then they could potentially be, uh, what would it have been, six points adrift. And now uh, in this match day, they had to go first and hold serve and then put the pressure back on the, um, well, the top two as they were when the match day started, as we said. And, uh, yeah, Kobe able to answer the bell and, uh, yes, move back into second in the live table and finish the match day there as well. Three points behind F Marinos and ahead of them by uh, three goals of goal difference. So if they were to win uh, this week, uh, and F Marinos do as well, then the, the following round, when the, every other uh, J1 uh, team is off, with the exception of Kobe and Kawasaki, if they win that game in hand, then they would return to the summit with um, yeah every team then having played uh, 21 games and we would be set for one heck of a uh, a midsummer run let alone a stretch run so uh, yeah I, I guess after the sideshow uh, if that's not being too strong to call it that of the uh, the departure of Andres Iniesta last week and again with the defensive problems they had in this game I guess we've got to um, give Kobo their due praise for for taking care of business and um, yeah I guess holding up their end of the bargain uh, yeah I think it was a difficult game they faced Niigata had done so well the previous week it was a decent crowd um, for this game obviously and they were playing they were full of confidence and uh, they tested Kobe obviously the defensive issues that they had to deal with, and uh, yeah, it was a good all-round performance, so they did just enough Kobe, and yeah, it was right for you to mention Mike Carr, I thought he was uh, very, very good, especially that save from Taniguchi. Indeed, alright, so uh, Niigata nil, Kobe won on the Friday night, and uh, yeah, that's the top three uh, rounded up after match day 20, of course, keeping in mind that Kobe do have that game in hand still. Alright, so we usually save the draws for last listeners, as you're well aware, I'm sure, by this point of proceedings, but we're going to round up the top four by talking about Urawa's goalless draw at home against FC Tokyo. Um, there still appears to be that uh, that gap now between the top four and the rest of the chasing pack, who, as we're going to come on to later on in the episode, uh, I guess did not live up to their end of the bargain. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's looking ever more likely that we will see the, the current top four separate themselves from the pack. And, um, yes, it'll be a Toyota race and, indeed, a chase for the ACL spots between the top four. But in the, in this game, uh, Urawa were uh, held and uh, returned to their uh, goalless draws ways, I suppose, Sam. They lost Hiroki Sakai, unfortunately, to injury in the early stages, but then Takahiro Sekine did superbly to set up Shinzo Kuroki for a chance in the 14th minute after holding off Kei Koizumi. Kuroki chipped the shot across Jakub Slovic, but off the base of the post and away. Then six minutes later, Tokyo also hit the woodwork. Kuryu Matsuki releasing Kota Tawaratsumida down the left and continuing his run into the box. From Tawaratsumida's cutback, Matsuki drove low with his left foot and Shusaku Nishikawa made a superb save to tip the ball onto the post. So, um, yeah, obviously, uh, as a Tokyo supporter coming into this game, I was uh, very curious to see how the midfield battle would shape up with uh, Atsuki Ito, obviously one of my favourites, um, going against my team and uh, the vastly experienced Ken Iwao uh, forming the um, yeah the ever dependable duo in the centre for uh, for Reds, but yes with uh, Shuto Abe 
and that Matsky seemingly um, revitalised after the uh, the introduction, uh, or rather the arrival of Peter Klamowski into uh, FC Tokyo. I was uh, very curious to see how the midfield duel would shake out. And, um, well, as, uh, unfortunately for Tokyo, Nishikawa was at the, at the top of his game and made a terrific save there. But uh, that's something that Matsky has to continue to add to his game, isn't it? The, uh, the, the dashes into the box and timing his runs. Uh, because he's certainly talented enough. And, yeah, he went close to giving uh, Tokyo the lead here, as uh, Kuroki had done up the other end a few minutes earlier. Yeah, it's definitely right about Matsuki. I think, remember the first game he had, he had that one shot from the edge of the area, and we thought, OK, this is a player that's really confident he wants to go in and score goals, but then never really got into that position for ages and ages. But he has been kind of unlocked a bit under um, Klamovsky, and there's definitely a confidence in him. I think he's been allowed to express himself a bit more. And yeah, if he can get into these positions a bit more often, the goals will start flowing. And it was only a fantastic save from Nishikawa that denied him. And uh, yeah, him and Abe, I think, have been... Uh, though it's the Klamovsky era, I don't know... He expected maybe a bit more wildness about it. It's not been necessarily <laughs> yeah. that, but I think the best, the biggest takeaway is the two midfielders. I think they have really stepped up, and there's so much potential with both of them. So that can only be good for Tokyo and for Japan in the future. So yeah, really good. I thought I liked this game in the first half. I don't think kind of died a little bit in the second half as Reds games often do. But yeah, really good goalkeeping uh, from both sides. And uh, yeah, Reds it was. They're really difficult to beat, aren't they? They've only lost once since the second game of the week, uh, the uh, second game of the season in all competitions. That was against Sagan Tosu the midweek after they won the Asian Champions League. So you can kind of forgive that. So they're mm. a really, yeah, really good base, and they've made some, or they are in the midst of making interesting signings. Uh, Hiroke Abe, who used to play for Kashima, went to Barcelona, got injured, and. He's coming back, and then they've been linked with uh, Shoya Nakajima, which I don't know if that'll sit too well with you, Ben. But yeah, what do you think? Those are the sorts of signings that could really take this Reds team on to be genuine title contenders. Well, yeah, they're very interesting names. I mean, I've, for me, they'd be hard pressed to get Sekine out of the team for for a start. I mean, I don't know whether uh, Sean Carroll lit a fire under Sekine when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, but seemingly ever since that uh, that appearance by Sean, Sekine has been on fire, and we mentioned uh, that he uh, set, up, set up Karoki for his early chance here, and then in first half stoppage time, uh, Slovic had to be at his best to tip over a 25-yard curler from Sekine. So, yeah, I mean, Sekine's not the future, obviously, as he continues um, to uh, yeah to, to grow old gracefully, I think is a nice way of saying it, isn't it? He's certainly an experienced campaigner. But, yeah, Nakajima could definitely be an X factor and that would be, I know he's not a, a Tokyo um, youth product. Uh, we obviously, we, another one that we nicked off Verdi, but um, yeah, he's, uh, it would be a little bit, uh, a little bit tricky to see him uh, turn up in, in a red shirt. But um, yeah, if, uh, if he's not the sort of signing that Peter Klamowski uh, isn't interested in, then yeah, I certainly can't blame him for for wanting to uh, join a, a a club the size of Reds if he is going to return to the J League and it would be fascinating to see him I think back uh, in J1 and see what sort of an impact he could make after um, a, a few years away and after a few interesting moves himself uh, let alone Reds being an interesting one in and of itself but uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how Macho Scorcher reshapes his squad over the summer. I guess we're going to be away for uh, for the most part of that. So I guess by the time we eventually reconvene uh, in um, you know a month, uh, six weeks or so, or have, however long it's going to be, the Reds could look uh, very very different. But for now, um, yeah, I guess they still do have to sort out their uh, their strike force uh, not only um yeah the uh, the attacking midfielders but what they're going to do with the likes of uh, Brian Linson and Jose Kante etc uh, etc et with Shinzo Kuroki continuing to uh, advance in years as well so uh yeah again from a Tokyo perspective it um a- another clean sheet is very good to see and again as we said last week not we're, what we're expecting from Klamovsky, but yeah, uh, continuing uh, along with uh, Matsky and Abe's uh, revitalization, and um, yeah, the uh, the the Klamovsky era has gotten off to a a very pleasing start, but uh, yeah, still a long way for Klamovsky to go as well as I'm sure he's well aware. But uh, yeah, for for Reds, uh, does it does it only take a couple of tweaks? Do you think, Sam? Because they're as we said last week, they're right up in the thick of it. Um, with still so many question marks about what they need to do in the summer. So if they get their moves right, I think they're uh, they're definitely going to be a serious threat in the second half of the season, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. They've got so much right at the back. That defensive partnership is as good as anything. The whole back line is pretty good. But you've got, you say, three left-backs, Akimoto, Ogiwara, and uh, Ohata, probably start for most teams. They've got a good depth there. Obviously, you don't want Sakai out for too long at right-back, but then midfield's very good. If they can add in a couple to replace, as you said, Moberg and uh, whoever, Linson and whatnot, if they can get better options in there, that's a good um, kind of attacking midfield base. It's just that striker, really. Either it's the connection between the midfielders and the striker or it's the strikers themselves, which I think is probably the case. I I really like Karaki. He's had a great career, but I don't think at 36, 37, I don't think they should be starting him if they're going to win the league. So, But the Reds have plenty of money. They can definitely go out and uh, sign players if they uh, they want to, and I'm sure they will. But, yeah, they're really set up pretty well to go and attack this second half of the season. It's just, yeah, they're missing that one thing. And I just wanted to bring up one more transfer thing with Reds. I'm, not, I'm sure you've seen the rumour. Did you ever think we'd be talking about Zion Suzuki to Manchester United? <laughs> Uh, no, and that's one I should have fired straight back at you. The the prospect of um, yes, a uh, a Japanese goalkeeper joining your favourite team. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that, and uh, indeed how uh, valid you think the rumours are. If they're being reported by the right people, then we we obviously have to take them seriously. But um, it did strike me as very odd that um, a player as talented as, as we know he is. Um, that is not even first choice for his club would be considered uh, for a um, yeah a move to the English Premier League where I fully appreciate he wouldn't walk straight into the Man United first team but um, he would be a, a first team squad member is uh, well yeah it's uh, it's very very interesting so well throwing it straight back at you did you ever consider that as a possibility? I did not. <laughs> I thought he needed to move from Reds and then get a loan spell lower in the league or maybe even in J2. Man United move is a bit wild, but it's um, it's been opened up because English clubs now have this in terms of work permits. They don't have they don't have to secure work permits for everyone anymore. They can have I think it's two to four players that they can then uh, sign without going through all that legal paperwork and whatnot, and that allows. Uh, clubs, I think, now to stockpile talent a little bit more. We've seen it previously with 
the likes of Man City signing Meshino and Itakura, but it's, they had the City Football Group to farm out the players and then they could sell them along. And United, if they did sign Suzuki and if they have been tracking him for several years, they could either play him in the under-21 competition and get him game time there. They could then loan him out either into the Championship maybe and get him game time in English football. So their, their options are greater. I still... As much as I would like a Japanese player to come to Man United, I don't at the moment think that Suzuki is right to move to United. He might have all the potential in the world and plenty of Red fans will say he's Japan's future number one. But I don't think personally for him, a move to Man United is the ideal place. I know people are poo-pooing the idea of him going to St. Trudens because everyone seems to go there. But it has proven to be a reasonable path for certain players, especially the more talented, if you think of Tommy Asu's gone through there, Kamada's gone through there, Endo's gone through there. I don't think that's like, just because there are lots of Japanese players there, doesn't mean it's a poor move. So I would probably prefer him to move there, unless there is a real good arrangement with Man United to get him a proper loan spell at a European club where he would get game time. Because otherwise, I just think the biggest thing for him is he needs to play games of football. And yeah, he hasn't had that for various years since that kind of clerical error that Reds had a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, that's pretty much derailed his uh, club career, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, whether he actually does make a move or not, it's looking very, very likely. But yeah, where he'll end up is, uh, I think, still to be determined. But yeah, one, uh, de- one transfer to definitely keep an eye on in the coming weeks. All right. So, um, yeah, we should mention uh, before we leave this game that the, the Tokyo defender, Enrique Trevisan might have been a smidgen fortunate to uh, stay on the pitch after a sliding challenge on uh, Reds defender Alex Schultz uh, just past the hour, but uh, yeah, was uh, able to escape with a booking, uh, Trevisan, um, and uh, yeah, was uh, looked very remorseful in the immediate aftermath. I think he realised it wasn't a great looking challenge, but uh, yes, uh, that was... Um, one that maybe Trevisan got away with to some extent. And uh, yeah, I think he, he was involved in the aerial challenge with uh, Hiroki Sakai early doors as well, wasn't he? So plenty happening around Trevisan in this game. But uh, yes, ultimately it ended goalless at the Saitama Stadium. Uh, the uh, spoils were also shared at Hitachi Dai on Saturday night in the Battle of the Bottom, Sam. It was uh, your pick of the weekend, of course, at the end of last week's episode. Second from bottom at the start of the match day, Kashiwa Racehall hosted uh, cellar dwellers Shonan Belmare. And, uh, well, yeah, this one uh, had uh, a lot of talking points, especially in the last 20 minutes or so. But uh, in the first half hour, uh, Racehall were by far the stronger team. Uh, For them, Takumi Tsuchiya had a glancing header volleyed off the line by a uh, Shonan defender in the 23rd minute, but the home fans didn't have to wait much longer to see their side go in front. Uh, Diego, who was finally making his uh, league debut for Raysol, was uh, slipped in down the left, and his uh, cutback to the penalty spot was dispatched first time with a minimum of fuss by Mal Hosoya. So a, a Raysol team that have found goals very hard to come by for, uh, well, the pretty much the entire first half of the season, Sam. But this one looked very, very easy in its uh, simplicity. Yeah, it was. It was generally dreadful Shonan defending to start with. I mean, they were, they'd changed up their back line quite a lot. And uh, 
It didn't look great, to be honest. Yamamoto, oh no, back in there. And Tachi, I think, was the back three. Sugioka was taken out of the side and then put on the bench. And, uh, yeah, no Oiwa either. So, yeah, there were issues there for Shonan. But it was good for race of the movement from Diego. Um, he was the one defensive signing they made over the winter that made sense. And it looked like it was going to improve them. And, yeah, he played well uh, for his 70 minutes or so that he played. He got in down the left. Lovely awareness to pull it back to Hosoya. And it was a really good finish uh, from Hosoya. So, yeah, if he can be an outlet down that left-hand side and give them something else to try and unlock this attack, which should be scoring plenty more goals than it is doing. But, yeah, it was a really good start for uh, Ray Salt. They were very much the best team in this game up until the main incident that we'll get on to in the second half. But, yeah, uh, it, was, it was looking very, very comfortable for them. And, really, they should have probably gone two or three up before, yeah, the last 10 or 15 minutes. Yes, some uh, dog-so carnage. And, uh, yeah, it all kicked off uh, in the last 20 minutes. And, uh, well, it began when uh, Shonan defender Shuto Yamamoto was booked in the 72nd minute for bringing down Tomoya Koyamatsu out on the uh, race hole right uh, with the referee called over by VAR to check if it uh, needed to be upgraded to a dog-so red. Uh, the initial decision stood and uh, well were you okay with that at the time sam yeah i was surprised by it because usually when you go over referee goes over to the monitor to say you've probably got to change this to a red card uh, he usually does but he stuck with his decision i think it was a very difficult one i don't think it was uh, certain either way so when if if he wasn't certain as he wasn't when he went to see at the monitor i think stick with your original decision is fine he, he was a little bit i think it's because he's wide and there's uh, there's a chance that I think it's Tachi who's the covering defender might get that. I don't think it's completely clear cut. I wouldn't have been upset either way. It was one of those decisions. It could have gone either one. And I think sticking with the on-field uh, decision is probably the best outcome. Yeah, I agree. But yes, again, I uh, concur that yes, once the referee's called over, then yeah, we can uh, cons- uh, maybe take it as read that the, the VAR thinks uh, it needs to be changed, but uh, the referee still uh, obviously still has the right to stick to his original decision. And in this case, uh, the referee decided to do so. Um, you might have caught in the last couple of weeks, uh, listeners, Johnny's given us a, a new drop. Squeaky bomb time at the Hidachi Dai. But uh, you're not aware, listeners, that there was also one that I'm going to have to dig off the cutting room floor, and uh, you won't be surprised to hear who this uh, next drop is about. It's about uh, Sam's favourite racehole defender. You go touch the time. Because uh, five minutes after Yamamoto's somewhat lucky escape, it was indeed Yugo Tatsuta time when uh, Tatsuta tangled with uh, Shonan forward Yuki Ohashi after uh, Song Bung Kyun sent a uh, long ball forward into the Shonan attack. Ohashi went to ground. Uh, the referee waved play on, but was then called over for another dogso check and uh, returned with a straight red card for the Kashiwa defender. His uh, second red in his last three appearances. And I mean, uh, you bemoaned uh, Masami Ihara's decision to throw Tatsuta straight back into the team uh, last week, Sam, after he just returned from his uh, suspension from his previous red card. I mean, um, Ihara has been on... Uh, Nelsinho's staff for you know this season so he, he's well aware of uh, what Tatsuta is all about and uh, as you've uh, expressed 
to your bamusement so many times throughout this season. Uh, Tutsuda just keeps getting picked um, despite his many travails and indeed in recent weeks, his many red cards. I don't know. Is this going to be the straw that broke the camel's back or <laughs> if, if not this, then what will? I, I have no idea. I, I expect him to be back as soon as he's next available because he's got something over everyone at Raysol and he did at S-Pulse as well and I think he played youth football for Japan which is, I don't understand any of it but yeah, I mean this is just dozy it's so dozy it's a long ball it's, it's very simple turn from Ohashi and he just pulls him down and, and he thought he got away with it but yeah he didn't uh, Correct, I think, just about the criticism. If I'm going to be fair to him, there's a chance that he bounces through straight to the goalkeeper anyway. It maybe shouldn't have been a red card, but I think just the stupidity of defending deserved a red card as it was, and it was just get more, you go tats to play. Like Even after last week, he was at fault for the, the Tokyo goal, the Diego goal, just because he lost mm. him completely. And mm. this is just... And they were so rarely tested in this game. The one long ball forward, and he makes a mistake. And in the end, he costs a massive couple of points for Raysol here. And, yeah, you just think, Harry, you must have seen him in training for ages. You're a centre-back. You know how to defend. You know that this isn't how to defend. And there are not great options in this squad, but there are different options that need to be tested. I don't think he should continually be getting away with this and coming back into the team. So hopefully, after he misses this game at the weekend, they either sign some centre-backs during the, the the break or they decide, yeah, well, maybe we have to move on from him and get someone else because, yeah, another Hugo Tatsuda day at the office. Absolutely. So, yes, indeed, it was squeaky bum time at the Hitachi Dai with there's still 10 minutes to play of the 90 and obviously with two uh, pretty lengthy dog-so checks that the referee had to go over and look at, uh, I think it ended up to being seven or eight minutes of, uh, of stoppage time at the end of uh, the uh, the 90. So, um, yes, in the third minute of stoppage time, um, it wasn't last chance saloon for Seanan because there was still minutes left on the clock. But they did get their equaliser when uh, Korsuke Onose chipped the ball out to Hiroyuki Abe on the right. Uh, Abe headed across the box and Kazunari Ono arrived just in front of Kenta Matsumoto to nod Belmare level. And um, yes, well, against all the odds, but although Tatsuta had given them a huge advantage, obviously, for the uh, the closing stages, uh, yeah, Shonan dug out a point. And um, yeah, it was pretty much as you were then down at the bottom. Uh, Shonan playing for the first time, obviously, without the Shuto Machino. And um, yeah, somehow able to level things up right at the death, and they stay bottom. Raysol uh, edge up one spot in the table, because as we're going to come on to next, uh, Yokohama FC lost away at Kawasaki Frontale by a scoreline of three goals to nil for uh, Frontale, the hosts in this game. They welcome back Junsung Ryong in goal for the first time in the league since match day eight. Uh, manager Toru Oniki had seen enough from Naoto Kami Fukumoto and uh, decided that, uh, yeah, Jung deserved another chance. And he was out smartly to deny Keijiro Ogawa at the end of a Yokohama FC counterattack in the seventh minute. And um, Sam, well, you tweeted that the Yokohama FC made a bright start to this game, but they were uh, undone in the 13th minute when the Shin Yamada volleyed in a uh, driven cross in from the left by Kyohei Noborizato. So, uh, yeah, Yokohama FC made a bright start here, but they were behind um, after that Yamada goal uh, fairly early doors. 
Yeah, they, they were decent. They had a few opportunities, and I think as will be like for the most of the rest of the season without Ogar, there's no real clinical nature to them. They're not. They're going to miss a lot of chances as they did to start this game, and then yeah, Frontali were pretty pretty dozy, but he eventually woke up, and it's a really good ball in from Nobarizato, and then Yamada's movement is good ahead of Broderson. He kind of hits him a little bit to go in, but it's yeah, it's a well crafted goal, and. Um, yeah, it was really stung Yokohama after a, a decent start, and they didn't really get back into it. Indeed. So then uh, just past the half hour, Towa Yamane brought down Taisei Miyashiro in the box. Miyashiro firing home the spot kick for 2-0. Um, this was an interesting-looking uh, one, Sam, and I'm not 100% sure that uh, Yamane wasn't hard done to here. It looked like he, well, he definitely did make contact with the ball, but replay suggested he might have taken out Miyashiro's trailing leg at the same time. Uh, did you think that was a fair enough decision, or was it a bit harsh on Yamane? Slightly harsh. The way I, When I first saw the one replay that you mentioned where I think he quite clearly gets the ball, and I was quite adamant, I think I tweeted, I was pretty adamant that it wasn't a, a penalty and it should have been reviewed, and yeah, it wasn't. I think there is that contact, as you mentioned, just before where he maybe takes that, so maybe a little bit unlucky, but on reflection, I think it is the correct decision. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one for Yamane to take. You could see where he's coming from with his uh, yeah immediate protestations to uh, the referee. But uh, yeah, the decision stood, and uh, Miyashiro got the goal from the spot. Uh, Yokohama FC wasted a guilt-edged chance to get back into the game just before the break when uh, Ryoya Yamashita pounced on a poor defensive pass, but then fired wide. Of goal, and it was left to a frontale substitute, Yusuke Sagawa, to have the final word late on. He took a pass from Kento Tachibanada, shifted the ball back onto his right foot, and from just inside the box, fired past Sven Brodersen for 3 0. And um, well, there's a big one coming up this weekend for Frontale when they travel to the leaders and defending champions. F. Marino's Sam for, uh, yeah, just for a change, there's another Kanagawa Derby on the slate. This is uh, the biggest of them all, of course, between the teams that have won the last six championships. So, um, yeah, for uh, as far as Frontale go, um, I guess after, yeah, uh, surviving a little bit of an early threat from uh, Yokohama FC, was this about as good of a tune-up as they could have hoped for? Uh, yeah, to a degree, it was better. Um, they, um, yeah, they lost the previous game against Yokohama FC in reverse fixtures, so they made uh, a few changes here that were Shin- Shinyamada coming in um, up front. You got Tatsuki Seko came into midfield with uh, Oshimo, sadly dropped, but I think it worked, and it was. Uh, I have to say it was the right decision, so I'm not going to complain. And the change of goalkeeper was better as well. I mean, at the start of the season, Jung made a few errors, was given a few chances and then dropped. And Cameron Fukumoto in the last few weeks has made a series of errors and he was given a chance. And then, yeah, I think it was fair that he was uh, swapped out again. I think it's a major area of concern. I know Frontale fans really like Jung and are very uh, thankful for the service he's given, but I think both goalkeepers are a, a bit of an issue at the moment. But yeah, they looked a little bit better in midfield. I think Seca has not really been given enough of a chance um, at Frontale kind of, since his move from Yokohama FC. He's been out on the fringes, but I think he played pretty well in here. And 
Yeah, it, it looked a little bit better, a little bit fresher. And um, yeah, it was a, obviously any 3-0 victory is a good one before you go and play Jokan Ref Marinos. And uh, yeah, it looks like a very interesting game now at the weekend. And I don't think they've got any real chance of... Uh, Champions League football, but you never know. A victory over F Marinos could be a catalyst for uh, Frontale. So that's what they'll have to hope for, and that's what they'll aim for at the weekend. Indeed, yeah, I suppose stranger things have happened uh, in the J League over the journey, and uh, well, yeah, well, there's still a long way left in this season. Uh, Toro Uniki, um, yeah, won't be uh, giving up hope of uh, firing his team up the table, I'm sure. Uh, one team that is on, well, definitely a, a great run of form, but they actually haven't seen that uh, corresponding to a huge leap up the table just yet is uh, is Gumbur Osaka. They are actually joint top uh, of the form table with the leaders, F. Marinos, after four wins and a draw in their last five. And overall, they are six unbeaten after a 1-0 home win over Kyoto. Uh, Gumbur, yeah, c- uh, carrying on the uh, the good times uh, at the Panasonic Stadium in uh, in the, the last couple of months they had the ball in the net in the 17th minute when their uh, South Korean central defender Kwon Kung Won headed in at the back post but the goal was uh, chalked off for uh, offside a correct decision from the linesman then uh, 10 minutes later up the other end uh, Yuta Toyokawa sent a low drive wide of the far post uh, into the second half with the 20 minutes left. Isam Jabali shot too close to Gakuji Ota, but uh, two minutes later, uh, Yuki Yamamoto cross cleared Jabali in the center and uh, was superbly headed in from six yards by a stooping slash diving Yuya Fukuda. So not quite a textbook diving header, Sam, but I'm sure you appreciate the way that Fukuda got down to steer the ball in from a fairly narrow angle at uh, Ota's, uh, yeah, well, close to, uh, well, it wasn't the near post, but uh, yeah, by the time Ota got across, there wasn't a huge amount of goal for him to aim at, but uh, yeah, a very well executed uh, stooping slash diving header from Fukuda, and that turned out to be the winner. Yeah, it was a very good goal because it's a difficult one to judge because as the ball's coming in, you think for all, your, all the money, Jabali is going to head it. And whether he gets a touch or it just goes slightly past him, it's for good, it has to adjust to it and has to be ready for it. And yeah, it's really good technique on the header as he stoops down and yeah, finds that small gap. So yeah, really good. Um, he's another one who's not had a great deal of game time this season. It's opened up a bit for him now with Karata's injury and um yeah, they're not convinced. Uh, Piatos with uh, Usami may be out on the left wing, so Fukuda's got his chance here and has taken it. He's won the, a couple of years ago, I think. He, they were, I know, certainly Alan was um, kind of bigging him up as a potential uh, national team player. It's not really worked out uh, for that, but there's definitely potential for him. He's had a few injuries, and hopefully this could be at the start of something for him. It was a really well-taken goal. Uh, I'm not sure it was necessarily Gamba's greatest performance. I think they've had better displays in their run, but yeah, Kyoto are a difficult team to beat and they've managed to just about get themselves over the line and now they are firmly out of that kind of pit of misery at the bottom of the table. They're up with in between Avispa and Nigatu, both had pretty decent starts to the season, had a points haul already in the bag. So to get up there, um, what they ten points clear of the bottom now, I think it's a yeah, a very good position for them to be in. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, quite the turnaround in the last month to six weeks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, credit to Danny Briatos and his players for uh, yeah digging themselves out. As we knew, there's a lot of quality in that squad and they've uh, finally began to show it. Although, as you say, this wasn't their finest performance. They're still in the bottom six. But uh, yes, uh, as Sam says, well and truly away from the uh, the one relegation spot this season. And um, yes, they can well and truly look onwards and upwards from here. I think as, uh, well, yeah, and again, as Sam mentioned in the last game, Yokohama FC had beaten Kawasaki in the reverse fixture, so Frontale got revenge there, and uh, indeed, as Gumba did, uh, revenge for their uh, 2-1 defeat at the Sanger Stadium in the middle of April. And um, yes, when all Gumba supporters' worst nightmares came true, and uh, Patrick scored the winner for Kyoto on this occasion after uh, Patrick came on, uh, Gumba were able to uh, keep him off the score sheet, and Fukuda's goal stood up as the only goal of the game, though uh, deep into stoppage time, a left-footed curler from uh, Korsuke Kinoshita did graze the outside of uh, Masaki Higashiguchi's right-hand post. But, uh, yeah, Gamba uh, saw out the 1-0 victory. And, uh, as we say, the good times are continuing to roll. Uh, not so much for a um, yeah a very uh, worrying trend for Sanfrecce Hiroshima, Sam. As uh, speaking of the form table, there are only three teams worse off then uh, San Freche in their results in the last five games, and they are the current bottom three in the table after uh, Hiroshima hosted but uh, could not find a way to defeat uh, Kashima Antlers. They have just uh, four points from their last five games, although, I mean, small mercies, they were able to arrest a slide of the three straight defeats and at least notched a point to their total. But, um, yeah, uh, for them, it's been a, a horror run of form in the last month, and they were heavily affected by illness within their squad and, indeed, their coach, Sam, with Skibba unable to take his uh, place on the touchline for this game. So um, I guess in some respects, when you uh, take into account the off the off the field problems that Hiroshima had over the course of the week, the fact that they were able to um, yeah get a point on the board against an Antlers team is uh, is, is something. But yeah, they've uh, they've really struggled in the, the last month or so, haven't they? Yeah, it's a slight crumb of comfort, but um, yeah, this is the worst possible time to have an, an illness crisis when you're in such poor form. And yeah, just the names they lost: Araki, Sasaki, and Sumiyoshi were their back three for the last game. Kawamura was out. Yamasaki played midfield last time; he was out. Uh, they got Koshimichi injured after inside the first half an hour. So it was just everything that could go wrong was going wrong for. Uh, Hiroshima, but Kashima have to have taken advantage, especially 1-0 up inside five minutes to Sekigawa. You think they've got to go on. They've been in not quite as poor form, but not great form. They haven't um, had too many victories in the last uh, month or so. So this was one that they really should have taken advantage of. So you've got to give credit to Hiroshima for getting back into it and uh, managing to get the draw out of the game. But I think this is one that Kashima especially will think two points dropped. Indeed. So, yeah, as you said, they uh, went to a fifth-minute lead. The visitors threw an Ikuma Sekigawa header. And, uh, uh, yeah, five minutes after going ahead, they almost made it 2-0. But uh, Yuma Suzuki could not make decent enough contact with a cross in from the left from Hayato Nakama after uh, Antlers uh, almost capitalised on a poor throw out of his own box by uh, Keisuke 
Osako. Uh, two minutes before the break, Ezekiel's fancy feet in midfield saw him create an opening for himself, but his shot from 25 yards was beaten away by Tomoki Hayakawa in uh, arguably Hiroshima's best moment of the first half. And then two minutes after the restart, Gakuto Notsuda's first-time strike from 25 yards, nicely teed up by Nassim Ben Khalifa, came back off the bar. But uh, 10 minutes into the second half, Sanfrecce got their equaliser after Notsuda won the ball back on the edge of his own box, and the hosts countered at speed. Uh, ben Khalifa playing a through ball for Ezekiel to run onto the Brazilian, placing a composed finish past Hayakawa. And the conditions definitely worsened later on in the game, Sam, uh, but uh, it was Antlers who went closest to winning it at the death. Suzuki's back post header spilled through his hands by uh, Osako, but uh, luckily for Hiroshima, up and over the bar. So I don't know, yeah, the slippery conditions right at the end actually might have worked in Hiroshima's advantage because the ball skimmed off the surface, I guess surprised Osako, but uh, yeah, went through his gloves, skimmed through his gloves and over over the uh, the woodwork. So they might have gotten away with one there at the death, San Frecce. But yes, as we said, considering the hardship they had throughout the week, um, I guess they can be forgiven for having a slice of luck there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think Osaka knew anything about it. It just kind of skids up and hits it, brushes the gloves and goes over. So, yeah, very fortunate there. But I don't think Kashima really deserved anything out of the game. I think they had that reasonable start. They pushed forward right towards the end, but there was a large gap in the middle where they did next to nothing. So I don't think it was quite as major as maybe Hiroshima games previously in terms of the shot count in favour of them. But I think they still pretty much dominated it and had the better of the chances. So, yeah, which considering the players out, I think it's credit to them. And yeah, I don't know where Kashima are at the moment. And they had that reasonable run, didn't they? Uh, after we almost got rid of Iwamasa, and yeah, they've kind of dwindled into a load of draws. Really, they're kind of a yeah, a bit of a nothing team at the moment. So yeah, is there anything you could see with this Antlers team that needs to change, or that you would look to change to make them the force that Antlers really should be? Well, again, I mean, it's the good players there. Um, I don't think we're convinced that he's the Iwamas is the right manager to get the best out of them. But um, I mean, you know, recent results have uh, uh, again started to dip. But I, I, I don't think there's going to be uh, there is the prospect of, of a change uh, in the dugout. So yeah, I think this is the the Antlers side playing this style of football that I think we're just going to have to get used to until. Um, the bubble burst basically, and uh, yeah, I, I don't see them making a, a splash signing necessarily in the uh, in the transfer window. So yeah, I think this is um, this is what we've got, and uh, yeah, I think they're going to have the, obviously have their games and have their moments where they can look very good. Uh, they'll be hauled along by Yuma Suzuki in games. The their central midfield pairing of Higuchi and Pachuku is obviously elite, but um, yeah, again, overall, I think they're uh, fairly middling, and that's that's um, that's returned to the fore in the, the last month or so after that impressive run of results they did have when it looked like they were starting to turn things around, but uh, yeah, that consistency uh, continues to elude them, I think, and yeah, these two teams remain uh, together in the table in 6th and 7th after a one-all draw down at the Edeon Stadium. All right, so we're going to – well, I guess we're kind of flipping the script throughout this episode where we haven't saved the draws for the end. We're finishing off 
with a couple of 2-1 home victories and both of them very impressive for the uh, the two Kyushu teams, Fukuoka and Tosu. Firstly, we'll head to the Best Enki Stadium where Avispa hosted Consadole Sapporo, of course, the great entertainers, and it was the visitors who took the lead just past the half hour, and it was Superchok Sarachat who got on the score sheet for the second straight week, and yes, indeed, he gave Sapporo the lead again. It was uh, Toya Nakamura who was the provider on this occasion. He worked his way past Itsuki Oda on the left of the box and cut the ball back, uh, though it, the ball did take a deflection off a couple of uh, Fukuoka defenders and Superchok was right place, right time to bundle in from inside the six-yard box. Uh, eight minutes before halftime, Fukuoka centre-back Douglas Grolly had the ball in the net after Takanori Sugino pushed out a Hiroyuki Maya free kick, but uh, VAR confirmed that the linesman's tight call that uh, Grolly was a smidgen offside when Maya uncorked his low drive, and uh, Sam, I think you tweeted it was half a shoulder from Grolly, so um, yeah, very, very tight against the Fukuoka defender, but again, just about the right decision. Yeah, it is the right call, and very tight. I think this sort of game was categorised by quite tight VR decisions, but I think, yeah, they've got it right, and it was the linesman got it right um, straight away, and it was confirmed by VAR, so unfortunate for Grolly, but correct decision. Indeed, Grolly was involved again on the hour when he upended Yoshiaki Komai on the edge of the Fukuoka box. Uh, the referee was later called over for a look and awarded a penalty to Sapporo, but uh, much to the chagrin of a thousand fantasy football managers, uh, Takuro Kaneko fired his spot kick against the post and showing their recent resiliency, Avispa made the most of their reprieve, and instead of being 2-0 down, if uh, Kaneko had have scored from the spot, they went 2-1 up after two goals in three minutes, both set up by Grolly and Lukian. First in the 66th minute, Grolly released the big striker down the right, and he squared for the substitute Wellington to tap in from six yards. Then Grolly won an aerial duel in midfield. Yuya Yamagishi passed to Lukian, and his cutback was side-footed home superbly across Sugino by another Avispa sub, Masato Yuzawa. So, yeah, I mean, huge kudos here again to, to Fukuoka, Sam, for... Um, well, I mean, they were fortunate, obviously, that Kanako hit the post from the spot, but um, still a goal down in this game with a lot of work to do. And, um, yeah, they were able to not only claw their way back into it, but, yeah, get their noses in front. Yeah, they switched on after the penalty miss, and Sapporo really didn't. And, yeah, it's not the first time this season that Avispa have been able to go bang, bang and turn a game completely on its head. And, yeah, they were really well-crafted goals. Obviously, the first one, Sapporo's defence, as it usually is, is a little bit all over the place. And it only takes one very good ball from Grolly through uh, to Lukian. I think there's a missed interception in there. But it's a good run from Lukian, who in this game was, yeah, drifting out to the wing a little bit more, maybe. Uh, yeah, get, using those channels pretty well, getting in behind those uh, wide centre-backs uh, supporters who were generally up the other end, like Nakamura was to set up the goal. So, um, yeah, used that space well, good cutback and Wellington finished. And then, yeah, the pullback again for the second one to Yuzawa, and it's a really well-taken finish from the right the right wing back there. A lovely first time strike into the corner and yeah, just clinical nature from Avispa and turn that game on their head and do, yeah, just a terrific passenger play for them. 
Yeah, fantastic. And, well, yeah, VAR had a a busy day at the Best Anki. There's no doubt about that. 12 minutes from time, Yuya Asano's equaliser, or he thought, was flagged offside by the linesman and confirmed by VAR. And this must have been, well... Less than half a shoulder, Sam. I don't know. A uh, cigarette paper. This was uh, unbelievably tight. And uh, for uh, yeah, Asano, his uh, his goal to be um, disallowed for something so minor. I don't know. Was it a fingernail? What was the final judgment? Because it looked extremely harsh to me. And he, for me, for mine, he had to be level. Yeah, I didn't get the the replay with the line, so I can't give you an accurate description of what body part was just about offside or not, but it was so, so close. It was really unfortunate uh, for Asano. Um, yeah, back previously before via benefit of the doubt would have gone to him and he'd have gone on and scored, but not the case with the um, minute detail that Ibar go into. So it's cost Asano. I'm sure, again, it's probably cost other fancy football managers as well to not have an Asano goal, but I assume correct decision was made. And uh, yeah, just a little bit unfortunate there for sport, but maybe even itself up with a Gwali one earlier. Yeah, that's fair enough, I suppose. And then, uh, well, deep into stoppage time, Masaki Murakami tipped over a Shunta Tanaka flick as uh, Fukuoka hung on for a second straight win. And uh, yes, it uh, goes without saying, their ship is now well and truly steadied uh, after that. And um, yeah, a huge character building win, I think, for uh, for Avispa. As we said, two straight, and uh, yeah, you know a Sapporo team that's always going to come at you, and um, yeah, they're able to bring themselves from a goal down to uh, to go bang bang themselves, and uh, yeah, claim all three points. So well done to uh, Vispa, and indeed uh, another team who came from behind on Saturday evening were Sagan Tosu in the late game at home against uh, Cerezo Osaka. The visitors Cerezo took a 13th minute lead. Uh, after the hosts were undone by a short corner routine, uh, Yordi Kruks's cross to the far post headed in by Leo Ciara for 1-0 Cerezo. But just past the hour, Tosu leveled when uh, Yuki Horigome sent an audacious chip with the outside of his left foot into the net via a slight deflection of a Cerezo defender. Then with the 20 minutes left, Yuji Ono headed against the bar for the hosts as they uh, looked in search of a uh, go-ahead goal, and they won it in dramatic fashion in the 93rd minute. As uh, Cerezo pushed for a winner of their own, uh, Ciara shot into the arms of Park Ilgu on the turn. Uh, Park darted out to the edge of his box in trademark fashion and uh, released Ayumu Yokoyama racing a clear down the right with uh, no one closing him down. Yokoyama was able to dribble into the box before digging out across into the center where a Kaiman Togashi was waiting to send a diving header in off the underside of the bar. And uh, yeah, much to your delight, I'm sure, Sam, uh, you love a good diving header. And uh, when it uh, comes in the 93rd minute and it's a game winner, well, uh, yeah, you could understand the outpouring of emotion from uh, Togashi at uh, such an important goal for him, uh, especially. But uh, yeah, a, a huge one for Tosu to give them all three points. 
Yeah, great guy. I do like these goals. And uh, yeah, but was under so much pressure at the back post. So to be able to fend that off and then get the diving header away was magnificent. And yeah, two uh, substitutes that have barely played any football this season. Both have been injured in Yokoyama and Togashi. But yeah, combined really well. The crossing from Yokoyama is very, very good. And as you said, all comes from Park. At the, so we tail-ended this podcast with some goalkeeping uh, quality in terms of distribution. Fantastic from Park. It's, yeah, it's what he's known for. It's what he's best at. It was really good to set them away. And uh, yeah, just a really fine goal for Tosu. We just continue to carry on. They seem to just find performances out of nowhere. They just yeah, continue to perform well above the sum of their parts. So yeah, really good from uh, Sagantosu. Maybe harsh on Cerezo to lose it in that fashion, but yeah, it's just one of those. And I think they are, I know they're fifth, but, but they don't really seem to me like a genuine ACL challenger. I think that's probably maybe slightly harsh given their position. But yeah, they don't just, they just don't fill me with confidence that they'll ever have a consistent run to really go on and uh, challenge at that sharp end. So yeah, a decent enough game. I think the conditions were pretty awful. They started with various puddles all over the field. So mm-hmm. and to get a, as good a game of football as they did out of this is credit to both sides. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, there was a lot of standing water on the pitch, wasn't there? Uh, especially, well, at kickoff, but I think they worked on it during halftime. It wasn't quite as bad in the second half. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, some, um, some some puddles for the uh, the players to contend with, uh, especially through the centre of the pitch. But, uh, yeah, it looked a little bit better out on the flanks. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, the hosts winning it in some style, as we have said. All right, then, so that's all nine games from J1 Match Day 20 rounded up then. So we do have a, a full round of uh, games coming up this weekend in Match Day 21. But before then... Sam, we have the uh, not-so-insignificant matter of the third round of the Emperor's Cup taking place on Wednesday. And, uh, well, yeah, there are some tantalising ties, to put it mildly, um, including the clash of the J1 leaders against the J2 leaders with the Machida Zelvia hosting Yokohama F Marinos at the Gion Stadium. That should be a, uh, a really interesting game as uh, Zelvia have a very clear buffer at the top of J2. And obviously it's uh, still a long, long way to go in that competition and no one is counting any chickens uh, before they're hatched. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, for example, how the likes of uh, Machida's strike force of Mitchell Duke and uh, Eric, a former F Marinos player, of course, uh, how they fare going up against the, uh, the the defending J1 champions and their defence. And, um, yeah, a, a number of interesting-looking ties throughout the uh, the Empress Cup third-round uh, slate. Yeah, there are. It's, usually at this point, I'm not massively excited about Empress Cup fixtures. They're generally J1 teams playing their reserves against J2 or J3 playing reserves, but and nothing really not stands out. But, yeah, this this um, round, yeah, there's plenty. That, as you mentioned, Marinos, Zelvia. If Zelvia can put out a reasonable team, I'd love to see Eric go up against F Marinos. I don't think uh, the Marinos supporters would particularly like that, but I think that could be interesting. I think you're looking at Kashmir against Kofu. Kofu doing really well in J2. Obviously, the defending champions, they might see a scalp there in Kashima. Uh, 
Um, obviously, the Tokyo Derby, I'm sure that's going to uh, be the highlight for most people looking at this this round of fixtures. Again, I hope both teams kind of go for it. Both teams uh, doing reasonably well in recent weeks. Verdi obviously flying high in J2, so that's a really good one. Kobe and Iwata both flying high in their respective divisions. So, there's a, yeah, there's a lot to look out for. There's a lot of uh, interesting ties there and hopefully yeah we see some good football and uh, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to watch the Emperor's Cup but I will do my best to try and find something I think the JFA are putting on Sagam Tosu versus Roasso Kumamoto on JFA TV so if you're outside of Japan that's probably your best bet for some Emperor's Cup action and a decent Kyushu derby which should be yeah at least a good watch on paper at least um, so yeah, hopefully some really good action in that one before but that our final weekend before the mid-season break in J1. Absolutely. So, yeah, the the Tokyo Derby, uh, obviously a lot of interest in that heading into uh, the uh, the Emperor's Cup third round. Um, yeah, the, the last time these teams met uh, was uh, all the way back in 2008, uh, the last time that uh, Verdi were in J1. So it's uh, been... Uh, a long time between drinks, 15 years, and uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how uh, it goes at uh, Ajinomoto Stadium on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, Tokyo don't have a terrific record in the Emperor's Cup in uh, recent years. They've uh, tended to slip on banana skins. Um, I, I don't think this would be categorised as one. Uh, as you say, Verdi are doing very well up towards the top of, of J2. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting a... Uh, a full-blooded occasion and a full-blooded derby that uh, Peter Klamowski and uh, Hiroshi Jofuku will have uh, their respective sides well and truly up for. And, um, well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see uh, where the chips lie at the end of the 90 minutes plus whatever's necessary after that. So, uh, yeah, uh, very interesting round of uh, the Empress Cup coming up on Wednesday night. And then, uh, yes, J1 match day 21 takes place uh, over the uh, the weekend uh, to come, Sam, two games on Saturday, and well, for me, they're arguably the the pick of the uh, the entire match day. Just those two games on Saturday. Then we have seven on the Sunday, and the the, the two games on Saturday are obviously spaced out very well for viewers to to watch both of them at their leisure. Sapporo Niigata at one o'clock, and then the the previously mentioned. Kanagawa Derby with uh, F. Marino's hosting Frontale at the Nissan Stadium is on at seven. So um, I think we can kind of chalk those off. Maybe um, what's uh, what's Sam's pick of Sunday? Sam's pick of Sunday. Oh, my pick of Sunday. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'd make because it's a real test on Saturday if I were well, my commitment to this league um, without working on it with a 5 a.m. kickoff for Sapporo. So I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. I can possibly pick that one. And yeah, the Sunday, I'm yeah, disappointed you've taken the low hanging fruit away from me from Ed Marinos and uh, Kawasaki. But yeah, I think I'd probably pick Gamba versus Kashiwa. Obviously, Gamba in reasonable form. They look to be playing a lot better and race. So uh, there's, a, there's so many good players there. They should be able to create something. They had a really good game. Was it the opening game of the season that was 2 2? It was really end to end and really open. I expect. That to be the case here. I think Gamba have got better. Now they're in a position where they can just have very little to lose. I don't think they're in many, much danger anymore. And Raysol, they will still see this as a team that they could beat and they can go out and attack. So I'd expect that. I'd, I'd, to be honest, I think it's 
slightly slim pickings on Sunday, but I think that one stands out to me the most. Uh, what about you, Ben? Yeah, I agree. It's not the uh, the most eye-catching series of fixtures on uh, on the Sunday, but uh, yeah, I guess they all hold the different levels of intrigue. Um, whether Shonan Fukuoka could be an interesting watch, I don't know um, whether I can really recommend people to watch Shonan these days, but uh, yeah, Fukuoka uh, on the back of two straight victories will look to, to carry on their their good form and well I mean Sean and we we need to see a response and maybe it will come against Avispa I'm not sure but uh yeah if you've gone for the team uh traveling away the the third from bottom team traveling away then uh, yeah I'll, I guess I'll go for the the cellar dwellers hosting Fukuoka and um yeah just uh maybe Sean and will will get a response and, and find a couple of goals to uh to get the 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 punters at the lemon gas stadium re-energized because it has been a very very poor run of form as we are all well aware so uh, yeah that's uh, to come on the weekend then and um yes i will not be around for it uh, listeners i'm uh, taking my kids back to australia uh well this time next monday i'll be uh, on the plane uh, back to Australia. So uh, we'll just uh, finish off this episode by giving you a, an update on what you can expect from Big Pod over the uh, the next six weeks or so. So, um, well, very pleased to inform you, listeners, and I'm sure Sam and Johnny are pleased to be at the controls and to get me out of the way. Uh, Sam and Johnny will be uh, co-hosting uh, next week's episode in my absence. But uh, from then, uh, Sam, you're going to be heading off for your uh, your training for your new job. So that'll be uh, you out of the picture for the foreseeable. But uh, I'm sure, yeah, you're looking forward to catching up with uh, with Johnny on uh, next week's episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. We had one episode together. We didn't crash and burn the place down. So hopefully we can continue uh, next week and uh, put out a good episode for everybody. I know Johnny, I think, is attending the Gamba versus Kashua game. So that was that's why I maybe tailored my pick of the week to that one. So hopefully he has a good one. And, uh, yeah, we can get into a, 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 a fixture list that's better than it maybe seems on paper. Yeah, let's hope there's a few hidden gems emerge from uh, from the weekend, and uh, I'm sure. Well, there'll be no question there'll be plenty of talking points from uh, from the round, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to listening back to that episode in the editing suite before getting it out to the world. So then, uh, yes, we do have that two weekend break with uh, no J1 games, though of course the, the rearranged match day 16 game between Kobe and Kawasaki will be played on July 22nd. But yes, there's two clear weekends where there are no uh, full match days uh, in J1. Uh, after which, uh, Johnny will take you through the uh, the first three match days in August. That's match days 22 to 24 in conjunction with the J Talk Extra Time podcast. And uh, we thank John and James and indeed Mike in advance for their production support before Sam and I will hopefully reconvene. Those, this is still to be confirmed after the uh, the final round of games in August, which is a match day 25. I, I will be back for that round, and uh, yeah, we're hoping to uh, hoping to catch up with Sam uh, for for a chat after uh, after that round of games. But uh, as I say, that's still to be confirmed, and uh, you will let you know obviously in due course. So. That's it, basically from uh, from J Talk Towers. We're uh, yeah, we're uh, going to work our way through the, uh, the the summer months. Obviously, I'm heading back to the dead of winter 
in uh, in Victoria, down in the uh, southeast of uh, Australia. So yeah, it'll be very chilly down there. A huge change from it's absolutely boiling over here at the moment, Sam. But uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back, catching up with some people and. Um, well, yeah, happy timing happens to be obviously the Women's World Cup taking place at the same time. So um, while there's not a massive amount of coverage, to put it mildly, of that coming up on the Japanese TV, I'm sure it'll be a wall-to-wall down in Australia and New Zealand. So, um, yeah, looking forward to uh, to hopefully the uh, Nadeshko doing the business and indeed the uh, Aussie national team uh, doing uh, well as well. And I'm sure you're looking forward to how England are going to get on. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget to mention the Lionesses as well. <laughs> yes. we're, we're down there. So, yeah, that's a great time to be back in Australia. So hopefully you'll have a wonderful time back seeing family, uh, enjoying a well-earned break. And, yeah, it's kind of the end of us an era, I guess. I don't know when we'll next speak, but hopefully, if not that first week back, hopefully early in September, we should be able to reconvene. Indeed, yeah. So, um, well, yeah. Let's uh, let me put this on the record, Sam. Uh, this is, um, yeah, your time at Football Radar has come to an end, and um, yeah, I guess your time as a permanent co-host of of J Talk uh, is uh, is also coming to an end after you uh, record with Johnny next week. So, uh, yeah, can't thank you enough for uh, all of the preparation you put into this uh, podcast on a week by week basis. It has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you for however many well it's four years i think isn't it and uh, yeah i've always looked forward to it on a monday night and it's been uh, yeah a ton of fun and um yeah hoping that your new beginnings and your new job uh takes you to places that you've never been uh, i think that's the idea of the job isn't it so <laughs> yeah hopefully <laughs> it uh, it comes through in spades for you and um yeah you you really enjoy it and uh, yeah get stuck into your training and uh, and make the most of it but uh, yeah just uh for as you say the end of an era and it's been absolutely uh, epic uh, sharing the j talk airways with you on a weekly basis so thanks a lot mate well thank you very much for that it was an honor when you asked me to be a pod- uh, to be a co-host on the podcast i've been listening to it for many years and yeah i've thoroughly enjoyed it ever since uh, coming on board we got through the covid year <laughs> the covid years and that, those few months goodness me i don't know how we managed it but uh, all good fun and yeah it'll be a big hole in my monday afternoon uh, not recording with you so yeah i will definitely miss it i'll definitely miss uh, speaking to everyone just around the j league but yeah hopefully we can get a number of episodes in a month and hopefully it's not too long between drinks indeed all right then so we'll leave it there that's it for this week's episode of the j talk podcast sam and i would like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on patreon if you'd like to get involved please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod and listeners we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are We'll, well, I won't speak to you next week, but Sam and Johnny will to round up J1 Match Day 21. Speak to you again soon. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.